Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to be back on another episode of Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Today, I've got Tani Lara with me, who is known as the Sober Sexpert. That is such a fun name. (laughs) Tani writes and speaks about alcohol-free sex and dating. Her work's been featured in Playboy, Men's Health, The Huffington Post, and two essay collections, Sex and the Single Woman and The Addiction Diaries. She's the co-host of the Signal Award-winning podcast, Recovery Rocks, and the story developer for the Webby Award-winning podcast, Fucking Sober. So Dry Humping is her first book. That is the best name I've heard for a book in a long time. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is so great. IRL. It's amazing. Yes. Thank you for making it happen. Of course, we've been Instagram friends for a while, and we're finally meeting in, in, like, is it 3D? Are we? Is this 3D? I don't know. 3D, 4D? 4D. Maybe it should be 5D. Yeah. But that's a different episode. It is. That's the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So dry humping. Ooh, for those of you on YouTube watching, here's the book. It's so fun. Um, how did you come up with the idea for this? What prompted it? Yeah. So when I quit drinking um, almost eight years ago, uh, the, the thought of dating, let alone having sex without alcohol, just truly scared the hell out of me. Um, Why? I, what I now know is that I was relying on liquid courage Mm -hmm. to feel more confident in the bedroom, to feel more confident on dates Mm -hmm. to, I I mean, I was, I was really numbing myself. I was, I was not in a good place. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to communicate, set boundaries. I didn't even know what boundaries were, you know? Um, I was, now I know I was Mm self-medicating anxiety and depression and PTSD and, um, numbing out was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, for the, for the focus of the book, it really is sex dating and relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I examine the role that alcohol, but especially liquid courage mm. plays in, in our love lives. And, um, and it's, yes, it's a sex and dating book, but it's also like, it's really interpersonal relationships, yeah. you know, like how to, like I said, communicate, advocate for yourself, set boundaries and not rely on alcohol for that confidence. Yeah. And I I love that. And when I was looking through your book, I thought there are so many great topics in here that people who are newly sober, thinking about getting sober, or have no plans to get sober can really take in and internalize because you talk about this really, what you just said, the super important role that alcohol plays for a lot of people in giving them confidence and skipping over the hard parts of negotiating intimacy. And that is something that I think most people can relate to. That That's the real thing. It's like, I, I think in the book, I describe what you just said as like outsourcing your confidence to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be very clear. I'm not anti-alcohol mm-hmm. at all. I'm anti-big alcohol and I'm anti, you know, binge drinking to numb your feelings. Mm. Um, But this this book is really a conversation on relying on a on a substance to power through Mm -hmm. something. And it gives gives the reader tangible tips on 
how to date without alcohol, how to have a conversation, how to communicate. Um, there's a whole chapter on alcohol-free date ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, spoiler alert, every date is alcohol-free. <laughs> we just add it, you that know. so true. <laughs> so true. We make it such a focal point in our in our society, and especially for dating. It's like you suss out what the other person is getting as a drink as if that means something about their personality. I mean, it becomes a currency to evaluate personality for a lot of people. Totally. And it's in becoming reliant on it mm-hmm. is like, yeah, it's this currency of like, oh, this, that person's hot over there. I'm going to take a shot before I go talk to them. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, it's like, you're, you're really not doing the work mm-hmm. to develop real confidence. You're, you're really outsourcing that. And I think, um, you know, one of the biggest questions that I get in my line of work is like, how can I be more confident on a date mm-hmm. in the bedroom without alcohol? And I remind people like, you're, if you're sober or sober curious, that's one of the most confident, badass things totally. you could do. Yeah. And that's the confidence that you take into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's the confidence that you take, uh, you know, onto a date or when you're advocating for a boundary. Mm-hmm. Because you you evaluate your relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. because you're taking a stand for your mental health. You're take, like, yeah. I'm not saying getting sober. I'm saying like some, a lot of people are just reevaluating mm-hmm. how they're drinking. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty badass thing to do. It is. It is. Like alcohol is just like in the fabric of maturation for a lot of people. Like it's a rite of passage. And for a lot of folks in high school, college, and and in their early life, their early 20s, it's just like something that is woven into everything that you do. And it takes such a priority stance in the lives of so many folks. So much so that I work with people who will say like, I don't even remember my twenties. They're a blur to yeah. me. And, and you know what? I have years like that too, where I look back and I'm like, oh, I was pretty drunk that whole year. That was just my year. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a thing. And it's, you know, I quit drinking right before my 30th birthday mm-hmm. and I, I had this, you know, very <laughs> cinematic, dramatic moment where I'm looking in the mirror and I'm hungover and like yesterday's mascara is flaked <laughs> under my eyes. And I'm like, this isn't cute anymore. Aww. You know, maybe it never was cute. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was, again, I was, I was binge drinking until I blacked out mm. on a regular basis. We're not talking about having a glass of wine at dinner. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was abusing mm. alcohol to hide from my shit. Mm-hmm. And you figure out your shit. <laughs> well, that's a really scary thing to do, right? I mean, when, when a lot of people are in that space of questioning, like, what am I doing right now with these substances or with this behavior that I'm really compulsive in, whatever it might be, stepping away from that is scary as fuck because that's become the biggest coping mechanism and the most reliable for a lot of people, alcohol or another drug or another compulsive behavior becomes their friend. They develop a relationship with that part of themselves that's, that's numbing out and because it feels like the safest way to be. Because they don't know other ways to be and just it's easy. It is easy. It's easy it's to fast. It's, it's 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 real quick. You take yeah. a shot of tequila, you feel better real quick. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize like what you just said is so powerful. People don't realize there's a lot behind that onion. <laughs> you know, once you start peeling it, yeah. Um, people think, um, oh, if my husband could just get sober, everything would get better. Or oh, if I could just drink less, everything mm-hmm. will get better. But when you stop drinking, you you realize, you know, hopefully you you do the work to realize mm-hmm. why you were so reliant on that liquid in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that is really tough 
arduous, emotionally, physically exhausting work. You are, I mean, I really felt like I met myself for the first time, you know, since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was self-medicating for almost 15 years. And then you, you quit, I quit drinking and I'm still meeting myself, you know, almost eight years later. Wow. That's a beautiful process. I, I love even thinking about just the reality and the realization of how many layers and dimensions you have that you get to keep meeting these new parts of yourself. It's also exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for the, I, I was going to say I'm ready for the journey to end, but, but that sounds really bleak. <laughs> but it's like, there is this almost piece of knowing like, yeah, I'm really never going to completely figure myself out. Mm. And I, I say that because I wish I heard someone else say that yeah. when I was having dark times of like, I saw people, it's like, man, they have their shit together. Like, no, like we're all really struggling. We're just, we're taking it one, we say one day at a time for a reason, right? Yeah. It's, I, I still never say that I will never drink again mm-hmm. because it's one day at a time. Yep. I'm not going to drink today, probably not going to drink tomorrow. That's but, all I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's necessary, right? When we start looking too far in the future, then it starts feeling really heavy and there's a lot of pressure to make a decision and know what you're going to do. I hear from so many of the, fe- the people that I work with when they're in early recovery, they're like, what the fuck do I do with myself? What do I do? Yeah please can someone give me some guidance because I don't know what to do right now, let alone in a week or three weeks or six months. And when you start looking at sort of that compounding runway of, of time, it's like, ah, uh, I should have answers and I don't. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's, that's the really tricky part is like we drink because right now sucks, right? You know, but if you drink, it's a little more numb or a lot more numb, depending on how much you're drinking. So when you're stuck with yourself and reality and your interpersonal relationships, that it 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 hits you. Mm-hmm. It is it it's a lot. What was the most difficult part about that for you? Just not having the alcohol anymore, really meeting yourself, learning about yourself, and being faced with just sort of all this new, I guess, data about who you are who you are not. And like the fact that you're learning that in that moment. Yeah. It's, I'm very grateful that my, my father's sober. So early sobriety, I called him and he's, he's a musician. So we do talk a lot about music. And I was like, you know, it feels like everything has turned to 11, you know, like quoting spinal tap. And (laughs) I was just like, you know, you, I quit drinking and my, all of my when I was drinking, my senses were numb, Mm. you know, which is like, and we can get into how that impacts pleasure, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of course. But, you know, I was not seeing, like my vision got better. My hearing got better. My, like my senses became better because I was not numbing them. Mm. And it like, once you figure out the science behind what alcohol is actually doing Mm -hmm. to your body, it makes perfect sense. But when you're newly sober, it can almost be overstimulating. Mm -hmm because you're not, you're not self-medicating anymore. Um, and you know, I'm, I, I got into therapy. I got on antidepressants, you know, I, and I'm properly medicated now. Mm. Um, but it's a journey, you know, it takes, it's a journey to find the right therapist. It's a journey to find the right mix of medications and your self-care practice. It's, it really, like we say one day at a time, because it's like, I have this metaphorical toolbox of all the stuff I have to do just to maintain like a baseline level of sanity. Mm-hmm. So when you were in that process, like how long did it take for you to feel like you kind of like wake up and feel okay? I think like once, 
once I felt comfortable with my therapist, I mm-hmm. think that's when it started. Mm-hmm. I found a peer support group that worked for me. Um, writing was a really big part of mm-hmm. just letting myself pour all these feelings out onto the page yeah. was super helpful. But I would say it was about a year or two before I really started to like myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as like, to be completely honest of, uh, you know, there's a lot of forgiving yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of family forgiveness that you have to go through. And mm-hmm. it's uh, figuring out who your real friends are versus your drinking buddies. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of transformation. It is. And I, I don't, again, I don't think people realize that. They think sobriety or they think recovery is just not drinking. Mm-hmm. And not drinking is actually the smallest part right. of a recovery program. Yeah. If you're working a really if you're working, one. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, and I'd say in the book, like, AA is not part of my story. Mm-hmm. Actually, I met my husband in an AA meeting, but I've only been to a handful of them. Um, so I, you know, I did kind of a patchwork recovery program mm-hmm. that that works for me. Mm-hmm. Good. So were you in a relationship when you got sober? Were you single? I was very single. Okay. I was new to New York. Okay. So I moved to New York um, summer of 2015. Uh-huh. I got sober November of 2015. Okay. <laughs> so I really, I only know New York sober. I, I didn't drink very much there. I think I needed to get out of my hometown and get away from my family and find my identity. So it's like, for me, sobriety, finding my voice as a writer and living in New York, they're all, they all go hand in hand to me becoming who I am today. Yeah. Wow, that's really that's really remarkable. What a brave and scary thing to do to move to a new city, especially one as stimulating as New York, and then suddenly take away your biggest coping mechanism. I know, but I I don't know that I would have quit drinking if I stayed stayed back home. Like yeah. I, I grew up in in Texas, and mm-hmm. um, I was a bartender. I was living like this stereotypical party girl bartender life, mm-hmm. and I I think I knew on some level that. I I needed to get out. Yeah. Writing was my reason. I wanted to be a writer in New York City. I had no clue that I was going to get sober four months later. Um, but, you know, life, man. I mean, life does that, right? It throws all kinds of fun surprises. I don't subscribe to New Year's resolutions, but it is important to maintain a healthy approach to meals year round. There's no better time than now if that's been something that's important to you. Factors ready to eat meal delivery takes stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. You can skip all the annoying grocery stores and the prep work and the cooking fatigue. Instead, get shelf-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. It takes all the stress away. With over 35 meals to choose from each week, including options that are keto-friendly, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, and so much more, there are over 55 weekly add-ons. You'll have so many nutritious and flavor-packed options to kickstart your year. So forget your frantic lunch preps and your rush dinners. Factors two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals delivered right to your door. They have been a lifesaver for me as my schedule just gets busier and busier. So head to factormeals.com slash getnaked50 and use code getnaked50 to get 50% off. That's code getnaked50 at factormeals.com slash getnaked50 to get 50% off. So when did you start 
dating after you got sober? Like, let's kind of bridge into what it means to be in that space. Yeah. Um, I I waited probably six months mm-hmm. before I started dating. Um, a lot of recovery programs will tell you to wait at least a year. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an arbitrary time period. You know, wait, wait until you're ready. Mm-hmm. The first chapter of my book is called Dating Yourself. That's really what I call that that chapter of my life is those first six months I was you know, working out. I, I ran a half marathon. That's like, wow. You know, like I, that was a very like newly sober thing to do. Cause there's all this energy I had to get out. So I, yeah, La- first and last half marathon, <laughs> let's just say. Um, but I was really focusing on myself. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was in therapy. I was, do- I was, um, unpacking my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have time or even the desire to date because mm-hmm. like I said, it scared the, the thought of it scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started, I started meeting people and slowly started to date. And I, you know, I found myself advocating for myself in ways that I never mm-hmm. did before. And I know it's because I quit drinking. And for example, like, you know, telling, telling someone the first, the first person I, I went on dates with, like, um, I'm, I'm newly sober. So I, I, I need to go slow here. And there, he was like, fine, sure. Like, how, how can I support you? You know, and I would have never asked to go slow Mm -hmm. or advocated for myself like that before. And then when it came time for us getting intimate, I, you know, I was like, this is my first time having sex or even doing anything intimate Mm -hmm. without alcohol. And this, I'm a little, I'm nervous. I might need to take some breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I would have never done that before. And he was so receptive. I'm very, very appreciative of that. And um, that's not who I married. (laughs) But he was, you know, a part of the chapter, and um, I really am. I'm so grateful that I I took that time to myself to what I call it dating myself. So when I do, when you do start to bring other people into your life, you know who you are. Yeah. You know how you know what your boundaries are, and and you know so you can know how to advocate for them. And I think that's so important. It really is. I mean, it it changes the landscape of dating when you really understand your own limits, your own needs, your own boundaries, and you feel empowered to advocate for them. Like you said, it's it's a really different kind of um, – you get a different kind of reaction when you're really firm in that. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to be firm in those boundaries and your needs – and what you're going to bring to a relationship until you have the time to really know yourself and feel like you can rely on your own, um, on your own, I want to use the word integrity, but that's not what I mean. I was like intuition? Mm, no, I mean just kind of your own sustainability on yeah, your path, right? I like it's, that. It's easy to waver if you don't feel like you deserve to have the limits mm-hmm. and boundaries and needs that you do have. Well, no, you know, that, that reminds me of like, you know, people pleasing was a big part yeah. of my drinking behavior and a big part of like who I was in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I, my relationship with sex has changed completely. So what, so your first time having sex, what was different for you sober? What did you experience that was new or just like really curious. I mean, it was, it was really interesting to have a genuine connection with someone Mm -hmm. first. Like we, we, I realized I didn't really even date when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. I just like, I bartended and I hooked up 
<laughs> you know, and then sometimes we would live together and then some, <laughs> and then sometimes it would be a one night stand, but I would never really dated mm. very much. Um, so I had to learn how to do that. Mm. And then once I figured out how to do that, um, I felt a little bit more comfortable. Like, I think that helped me feel more comfortable in, in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I was, I was overstimulated, which is why I, I, I told this person, like, I might need to take a break. I might need to go slow. Mm-hmm. I was overstimulated. We took pause. We, we would pause. We would have a cup of tea. We would, you know, like, but we, we still had, it was fun. Yeah. You know, like it, I stopped making, I stopped trying to make sex what I thought it should be. And I let it just be like, this is where I am sexually today. Yeah. You stopped performing. I stopped. I literally stopped performing. Beautiful. And it was such a filter mm-hmm. because anyone who couldn't meet me there was like, not, not worth my time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never respected myself enough to have, have a standard like that. Wow. wow. So in terms of pleasure, did you notice any increases, decreases, or was your um, capacity for pleasure the same? So you mentioned that your senses really came back online when you got sober. So I'm curious what that did. They did. To your pleasure capacity. Yeah. I mean, like alcohol, literally it's, it's a central nervous system depressant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're drinking alcohol to quell anxiety, quell depression, quell PTSD, it's not just calming down your brain. <laughs> you know, you really are reducing your pleasure centers and just your, your nerve, your, your senses. Mm. So that's why I was saying it was turned to 11. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. The first time that I had sober sex, I realized this pattern that I had of like of faking orgasms. Mm. I did that for years and years. And then with, with him for the first time, I was like, this is usually the time when I would fake an orgasm, but I don't want to do that. And he was like, great, don't do it. <laughs> and I never again, I never equated the two because I, I want, I was performing. Mm-hmm. I thought sex was supposed to be and feel a certain way. Yeah. Um, so once, once I was able to remove that performance and then I could actually be more present in bed mm. and, um, just, and fe- just feel feeling my body. Um, and I'm actually, I'm still working with a therapist on like the mind body connection mm-hmm. because like, Eight years later, I'm, it's something that I still struggle with, and I think it's important to talk about. Um, to be, I could write a book about sex and still say that I'm working. <laughs> I'm working on my sex life, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people work on their sex lives. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, because we're dynamic beings. We don't just like emerge fully cooked and then we're done, right? We're constantly growing, changing. Our bodies are changing, so the way that yes, we, hormones and, are changing. Our yeah. like. Everything. Our interests change. Yeah. Like there's toys that you might like a year from now that don't interest you today or positions that you used to like, but you don't really do anymore. And just being open to trying new things and mm-hmm. it's huge. So when you were dating, like h- how long did you date before you met your current partner? Um, I was, we met when I was like three years sober. Three years sober. Yeah. And he was, he's also, like I said, I met him in an AA meeting. So we each had about three years of our own recovery time before we found each other. Okay. Amazing. Which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it like, like how have the two of you incorporated recovery into your life, into your marriage? You know, I will say Nick will, Nick likes to say that AA is almost like feelings school. Like, like men are not taught to communicate or feel their feelings. And he, he learned how to communicate and how to advocate for himself in those rooms, Mm -hmm. which makes our relationship so much better. Mm -hmm. I've never been 
in a relationship with a man who tells me how he's feeling, who listens so actively. And, mm-hmm. um, it's, and it's almost like, as you know, it, it's its own language it recovery is. and just mental health in general is its own language. So we understand each other mm-hmm. on a really, um, beautiful, I think on a beautiful level. Wow. And it's not that I don't, I really didn't think I'd end up with someone sober. No? I'm shocked. I mean, I knew that I wanted to end, I knew I wanted to be with someone who was self-aware, mm-hmm. was either in therapy or had done the work. I knew those were really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it really is like we speak our own language and we're able to communicate. Like I'm, I'm feeling, you know, this, this feels triggering for me. I can't do this right now. And just a language I never had before that he thankfully speaks to. Wow. That's so beautiful. It makes such a big difference when you're on the same page in that way. And like when you're not negotiating, like having to be out in like a party scene with a partner who's still in that space in their lives and wants to be maybe. Well, and there's a whole chapter in the book called how to date someone who drinks. Yeah. Because that's another big question that I get is like, you know, just because you quit drinking, Mm -hmm. your partner still might drink. You can't make them do a dry month with you. And uh, so it's, it's, that's all it's, it deserves its own chapter because it's such a big, big subject. So I give people sample conversations, Mm -hmm. ways to really start these conversations with your partner. Like, Hey, I want to do a dry month or I'd like to not keep alcohol in the house anymore. Mm -hmm. Or like you really have to figure out your relationship with alcohol and, Mm -hmm. and how you want to approach sober curiosity or sobriety. And then you can tell your person how to show up for you. Um, and, it's it it's a really delicate subject because it often ends a relationship. It can. Yeah. Which can be a real bummer. But, you know, maybe it's just an opportunity. I don't mean to say just to minimize, but maybe it's an opportunity to kind of think about more alignment, right? With other people. And if you're not aligned, that's okay. It doesn't make anyone a good person or a bad person. Yeah. It really just speaks to where people are in their lives in a given moment. And it's like, it's so easy to say that objectively, but when you're in it, it's, yeah. it's devastating. I mean, a, and there's a chapter about sober breakups mm. because I, I, I didn't feel comfortable writing a book about dating and relationships mm-hmm. without talking about the fact that sometimes they end and heartache is fucking awful and dealing with that with mental health issues, with sobriety, sober curiosity, it's hard it's really hard. Um, and there's a chapter about how to fight, mm. you know, the, the importance of healthy arguments. Yeah. Well, you talk a lot about emotional sobriety in your book, which I think is brilliant. Um, when I work with folks who are in early recovery, this is one of the things that I think really gets them through is thinking about not only if they are chemically or behaviorally aligned with their sobriety plan, but what does emotional sobriety even mean to them? And what does it mean to think about integrating more balance and more evenness? So can you break down what your definition is of emotional sobriety? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think of emotional sobriety almost as like sex and love addiction, only the, you'll stick with me, <laughs> stick <laughs> okay. with me here. Um, only because you have to create, you have to define it for yourself. Mm. And I know that's an annoying answer, 
But so for me, for emotional sobriety, um, and I'm in recovery from sex and sex and love addiction, I had to create my own, what is my own rock bottom? Mm. What is a bottom line there? Like, what is it? What's a dangerous behavior? Mm. Because it's not like with alcohol or drugs or gambling, you just don't do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, you have to actually, you're still going to have relationships. Yeah. So you have to find it would be like me having to find a healthy relationship with alcohol. Mm. You know, it's hard. It's really, it's really hard. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, eating disorders, yeah. same thing. So anyway, um, for me, for my emotional sobriety, it's knowing that like which which emotions do I feel and which make which make me feel out of control. Yeah, Rage is a big one. Mm. I like to punch walls. I like to break shit. And you can't really do that. <laughs> but I found rage rooms, which rage are, rooms. yeah, yeah. I love a rage room. <laughs> um, so again, so for me, so I know that if my rage is taking over, mm-hmm. I need to, I need to pull back because my emotional sobriety is not in check. Yeah. And so, like I said, I have this metaphorical toolbox that I take with me everywhere. Like close my eyes. I do breath work. I call my therapist, call a friend, like journal, like there's, you know, just sometimes closing your eyes and counting to 10 can do wonders. Yeah. And it's the last thing I want to do when I feel like punching a wall. But after the end of those 10, those 10 breaths, I always feel better. Mm -hmm. So like I said, for me, it's usually rage and anxiety. So if you're listening and you're like, well, what would my emotional sobriety be? It's, it's going to be different for, for every single person. And you have to figure out which emotions completely consume you mm-hmm. and how how can you mitigate that? Yeah. How can you take care of that how, like per, on a preventative level and in a break glass in case of emergency level? Yeah, I really think about it as like a commitment to emotional regulation. Yes. Keeping yourself in your window of tolerance, right? We all get big feelings and sometimes those big feelings can just take us out because – if we are too behaviorally expressive with those big emotions, it can be really destructive to ourselves or to other people or to walls in your case. <laughs> um, but, but it's really about like recognizing like, oh, my emotions are getting big right now. Mm-hmm. So what do I need to do to bring myself back into a space where I am more regulated and Back in the driver's seat. So the emotions aren't driving you around. That's so real. I mean, there are times when it feels like my anxiety is driving. And I would love to just at least put it in the passenger seat. (laughs) Goals would be the trunk or just out out of the car altogether. But (laughs) just trying to keep it in the passenger seat for now. But it's it's difficult. But the more you work on it, the more Mm -hmm. self-aware you become. Mm -hmm. You feel feel, um, the signs sooner. Mm -hmm. Now I can... Now I, I see the, uh, the foreshadowing of like when I'm about to have a rage attack, mm, I can feel notice? my, my heart races, mm-hmm. uh, my hands clench. Cause I'm looking for something to punch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I just, I feel flushed. I feel hot. I just, I don't, I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't feel good. Yeah. You know? And so if you, the more you practice it, the more you get to know yourself, regulate your emotions. Mm-hmm it does get easier, which is why, you know, I cannot recommend finding a mental health support, whether it's peer support therapy, mm-hmm. listen to mental health podcasts, whatever you can. Yeah. Like it's, it's because like I said, it, giving up alcohol is really such a small part of this journey. It's figuring out why you're using it. 
Totally. I mean, we could argue that actually probably like the main component of recovery is emotional sobriety, because when you're emotionally sober, it's a lot easier to keep some of the substances or the compulsive behaviors at bay. So focusing on that is the gift. Like it's the hard work, but it's also it the is. gift. And it's for me, I don't know if it's just because I'm a writer, but like I, I love learning words and definitions. Mm -hmm. So when I learned that there's a word to describe what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't feel alone. Mm. I know that there are things I can Google. There are, there are activities I can do to feel better. Mm -hmm. So the more that I learn about myself and how my emotions and my brain works, I think just the happier I am. And mm. I think I'm, I'm a better partner, a better daughter, a better friend. Mm. You know, it's because I'm, I'm full, I'm here. I'm fully yeah. here. Yeah. What do you like least about being fully present with yourself? Well, when that anxiety is like going 110, mm -hmm. I fucking hate it. I really hate it. There are moments mm -hmm. where I'm just like, God, if, if I could just take a shot right now, this would at least like whew, yeah. calm me down, you know, which is like, again, you you have to have these, these tools because mm -hmm. life is still going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have really big fun moments to celebrate and you're going to have moments of loss and grief and devastation and disappointment. And it, it, again, it comes back to the emotional regulation of it's like, it, it, it sucks to be present all the time. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Well, what do you like most about <laughs> it in contrast? Um, I like that. Like I said, I have, I just, I feel like I'm a better person. Yeah. Um, I'm more I'm fully present with you right now. My mind isn't thinking about anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm able to truly be here with you. Um, I'm able to listen. I'm able to, I'm, my writing has never been better. Um, that is so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's the whole Hemingway, the Hemingway adage of uh, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> I got to say, I would not have a book if I was still drinking. So um, yeah. if again, Maybe that worked for him. I don't think it did. No. It, it didn't end too well for him. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I just feel like a more embodied human. Yeah. And before I just look at that, I've, you know, she, I quit drinking when I was 29, but I look at her, I was like, God, she was, she was sick. Mm. She was really struggling. Mm -hmm. She didn't know, she didn't know who she was. So she was just trying to be everyone else. Yeah. Trying to please everyone else. Yeah. And the fact that I don't feel like that anymore is probably my favorite thing about this journey. That's amazing. You sound like the way you describe her. Yeah. 29 year old. She sounds lost. Yes. Like she hadn't really plugged into herself yet. Very much. I mean, it's from age 14 to 29. Mm -hmm. I was self-medicating mm -hmm. on a very regular basis mm -hmm. and I had no idea what I was hiding from. Mm -hmm. Um, I have the I have a gist and I'm still learning, mm -hmm. still unpacking some stuff, but I just feel more in control. Yeah. I think maybe that's it. And I'm a control freak, so <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be in control. Hmm. So what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about recalibrating their relationship with alcohol but they don't really know where to start or how to talk about it with the people around yeah. them who know them to be one way with alcohol? Great question. Um, I want to remind people you do not have to hit rock bottom mm -hmm. before you decide to make a change in life. Like don't hit rock bottom before you start therapy. Don't hit rock bottom before you 
reevaluate your relationship with alcohol, Mm -hmm. you can, you can do a dry month. You can, you know, there's just, there's so many resources out there. So many free resources too. like listen to podcasts, read, read articles, blogs, get, um, my books available in most libraries, you Mm -hmm. know, like get, get as many resources as you can. Mm -hmm. Cause like I said, just remembering that you're not alone is huge. Mm -hmm. If you can even now, um, post pandemic, virtual peer support groups are everywhere. You can hop onto any peer support group virtually, go for a walk, camera off, just listen, Mm -hmm. you know, just listen. And, um, you just, you don't have to hit rock bottom. I, I could see where my trajectory was going and I, I stopped the train, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and you know, you can just tell someone that you trust, like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going through something. I really, I want to drink less right now. I don't know what it means, but I just wanted to say, I wanted to share that with someone mm-hmm. and hopefully they'll ask how they can support you. And you'll tell them, maybe you want them to invite you to, um, restaurants that don't serve alcohol. Maybe that's mm-hmm. your hangouts for the next couple of weeks. Maybe they come over and you guys have a pot of tea, mm-hmm. you know, you, you figure out what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the people who love you will absolutely love you and want to support you. And unfortunately, you're going to meet, you're going to find out some people that are just your drinking buddies and it's going to be devastating. Yeah. Um, but but you do have, the, which is again why it's so important to find these peer support groups um, or, or mental health support if you can. Well, you just touched on something that I think is super important. There's a tremendous amount of grief that can come with getting sober, especially when people realize that their relationships with some folks have to change. It's, yeah. It's really hard. And how do you how do you recommend people move through that space as they're deciding to take a little bit of distance from some of the people who they can only be friends with if they stay in that drinking or using space? It's it grief is the perfect word because you're grieving your old life. Yeah. You're grieving your old behaviors. You're grieving some relationships. Mm-hmm. You're grieving, like I literally wrote a breakup letter to Jack Daniels. Oh. <laughs> like I literally, I treated it like a breakup. Yeah. Um, and I like earlier I said deciding you want to drink less or not drink at all is one of the most confident things you can do. Mm-hmm. So whatever you can do to remember that that's going to, that's going to get you going. Like that's going to keep you taking it one day at a time. Like don't even worry about sober dating. Don't even worry about other relationships right now. Focus on yourself and your friendships. Um, and anyone who does not, anyone who gives you shit for doing a dry month or not drinking anymore, they're projecting their own shit onto you. Yep. And, um, it's not about you. Yeah. At all. And it's, 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 it's going to hurt. It will hurt. Mm-hmm. I dealt with that. It was really difficult, but because I had peer support and a therapist and supportive friends, mm-hmm. it didn't hurt as much. Yeah. It does hurt though. It hurts. And I think another way to think about it, and this, this, this can be really hard for a lot of folks is it's important to start building new community. Right. And you can do that through peer support. You can do that through 12 step groups. You can go do other meetup groups that are not organized around alcohol or events like that. It is really, really essential to start building other communities so that when you take away the coping skill Mm -hmm. of drinking or using or compulsively behaving in some way, 
you have some other folks and other things to do. You've got other people around you in your in your uh, support. What are the what are the word the bleachers like in your they're in your corner yeah yeah and in the first chapter of my book where I talk about dating myself mm-hmm. that's what I was doing was building the community in those uh, first few months mm-hmm. I was taking writing classes studying Spanish mm-hmm. um, just for me I found that when I got sober I had a lot of extra time and a lot of extra money because <laughs> I was not getting <laughs> shit faced and I was not hungover anymore so. I took a lot of classes and went to other meetup groups. Like I signed up for that half marathon for something else to do, Yeah, you know, and I did it with a friend. So it's, and my, that friend wasn't sober, mm-hmm. but we had this alcohol free activity to talk about and train for together. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying go run a marathon. I'm saying <laughs> just get into hobbies, Yeah, you know, get, fill your time with hobbies and you're going to meet people organically because you have a shared hobby. Mm -hmm. Volunteering is also a great option. Mm -hmm. You're going to find other people who have the same passion as you. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. So any last advice or thoughts for folks on dating sober? Um, In the booze free date ideas chapter, um, it's split up in like, the first, if you're just newly dating, if you've been with someone for a little bit, and then if you're like in a long-term relationship, because mm-hmm. I wanted to meet readers wherever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but the, the thread through all of them is that they're experiential dates. Mm-hmm. So if you are just getting coffee and staring at each other, <laughs> it's very similar to sitting at a bar and just mm-hmm. having drinks, mm-hmm. you know, um, nothing wrong with that, but I would encourage you to do something experiential, do something that's an activity, Mm. go to a museum, go to the botanical garden, um, go, go bowling, you know, just do something. Um, A, you're going to get some of those anxious jitters out. That's going to be really helpful. But B, you're doing, you're doing something external. Like you're looking at a painting that's going to give you a lot to talk about Mm -hmm. instead of just like, where did you come? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's also, it gets you present. It gets you present in the moment with this other person. And that can start some really interesting conversations. And it doesn't like, it's not going to matter if there's alcohol there or not, because you're having fun. You're engaging in something cultural and and interesting. Yeah. I love that idea. It also gives you a sense of like, does this person do adventure the same way I do or in a way that's complimentary to me? Yeah. And and how do I do adventure, which is kind of a fun thing to discover if you're new to hobbies or just getting out in the world separate from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I, in, in my book, I, I, one of my friends, Rebecca and and her now husband, their first date was they, they're both photographers. And so they just went around New York city and just took pictures. And then like, it was like a four hour date of taking pictures together. And then they had a beer, you know? So it's like, do just, yeah, just do something like you, they found that they both had photography in common Mm. and it wasn't like, their connection was not centered around alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. Um, those first few hours together were so rich and fulfilling to their own interests. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about this and talking about your new book. Where can folks meet up with you if they want to work with you or read more about what you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, you can find me on all the social medias, Tani M. Lara. Um, and I have a newsletter called Beyond Liquid Courage where people uh, send me questions about about this topic where I help people with interpersonal relationships without alcohol. 
Um, and I co-host Recovery Rocks podcast where we talk about recovery and rock and roll. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is great. Well, thanks everyone for listening this week. I'll see you back next week. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.